electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. You got it. Thank you, Scott. Hi, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. And we have quite a market shaping up just a day and a half into the trading year. Energy and financials are flying. Those Berkshire B shares Josh was just talking about doing quite well. The tech trade, on the other hand, tanking. It all comes as bond yields are strengthening and a formerly dovish Fed official gets a little more hawkish. We'll have all the details. Plus, a Disney reboot. The worst stock in the Dow last year is the top pick by Wells Fargo of all large cap growth stocks. The analyst makes his case as the company struggles with streaming and low park attendance. And in rapid fire, betting on Amazon, beating Bitcoin and being Adam Newman. But first, let's start with the markets today and quite a bit to show you here. Come along with me. Let's start with the major averages. Look at this dispersion. The Dow is higher by 200 points right now, just 10 points below 37,000 at the moment. It's up half a percent. But look at the S&P down a quarter percent for the broad market after hitting a record high earlier. The Nasdaq down a lot, 275 points. Remember, on Monday, Tesla's 11 percent surge really held the Nasdaq up on what otherwise would have been a lot of pressure that day when we also saw bond yields rise. Today, we don't have the same support. And so as a result, you're seeing some big declines. Let's move along and look at what's going on with those bond yields right now. We can show you the last couple sessions for the 5, the 10, and the 30-year. As you can see, closing out 2021 here, pretty quiet. Wow, turn the page to Monday, and we have liftoff. It started early in the trading session yesterday. It continued to pick up steam. Everyone's watching about the 1.7%. Well, ignore these here. That's sort of a relative move. Yes, 10% surges, but in the yield, if you can follow that. So 1.7% in the 10-year is really a key level to watch. Is this move for real or not? One of the issues, the ISM report this morning, showing the prices paid index actually dropped substantially. So the market is pricing in growth inflation, higher interest rates at the same time that some of those inflation pressures may actually be coming off the boil. But for now, it's good for financials and it's bad for tech stocks. So take a look here, the XLF up 2.6% today. It's actually up about 4% already year to date, while the tech spider is down 1.5%. And you can just see this gap growing wider. And this is just in the intraday session today. Even stronger than the financials, Energy up six and a half percent. This XLE is just since yesterday morning. It's up three and a half percent today, helping the bullishness today. OPEC Plus came out and said they're sticking with their planned production increase next month. They are not seeing a big hit from the Omicron variant. That's adding to the positive vibes around the sector. And further proof that pandemic trade is struggling. Pfizer, Moderna, Peloton and Zoom all dropping today. Peloton, what a struggle this one has been. Think of 100 around the high watermark. The stock is at 33 today. Zoom video also down 5%. Pfizer and Moderna under pressure as well. Joining me now is the most perfect guest to explain the market's moves today. Charlie Wabrinskoy is vice chair and head of investment group at Ariel Investments. Charlie, this is exactly the trade you've been saying is going to bear out. So how much further do you think it can run? A lot. And thank you, Kelly, for, for mentioning that. This is exactly, we want people to take a picture of their screens today and project this for the rest of the year, maybe for a couple of years. And the reason is because 
treasury rates and interest rates weren't just a little bit too low. They were way too low. It made no sense to have a 1.3 10-year with a 3.5, 4, or 6% inflation rate. Uh, treasuries have averaged about 4% since they were invented. And in this kind of inflation environment, you could argue they should be higher. Now, we don't think they're going to 4% in a hurry, but we absolutely think they're going to go up a lot from here. When they do, that's very good for value stocks relative to growth stocks. Tech has benefited from negative real interest rates. And then because if you have negative real interest rates, you're discounting future earnings back at a very low rate. And so you get a very high price today. As that unwinds, we're going to see value stocks do well like they're doing today and growth stocks doing relatively poorly. A lot of people look back at 2021, Charlie, when you had financials and energy and technology doing well. Technology companies like the big caps, at least, are some of the most reliable consumer staples-ish cash flow generative companies in America. Why can't they continue to show strong performance amid a stronger economy? Because a lot of these are great companies. They're not great stocks. The, the example I use is Microsoft in 1999. From 1999 to 2010, Microsoft's earnings tripled, tripled. The stock went down by 60%. Why? Because it started at 60 P.E., so a number of these names today are going to have growth. They're very good companies. Some of them are maybe a little overrated, but they're very good companies, but they're just overvalued stocks. And, and frankly, momentum has been behind them. Momentum works until it doesn't. When momentum reverses, when a main factor like interest rates reverse, you can get dramatic moves in these stocks. So why is the S&P down today? What does that tell you? that it's got a lot of tech stocks. It's got 25% growth stocks. It is underweight value names, which are doing very well today. I've been talking to you about Apache, which I think is up five or 6% today. Madison Square Garden Entertainment. None of these names are in the S&P 500. If they are, they're in a very low weight. The S&P 500 was trading at 21 times earnings at the end of the year. That's expensive. And uh, value stocks, the Russell 1000 value was trading at more like 15 times earnings, much more reasonable. So for those who look out and say, wait a minute, we have, you know, the end of fiscal stimulus, not much is going to happen on the congressional front. We have the Fed now, we have Doves now talking about multiple hikes and, and so forth. How much momentum does the quote unquote real economy really have right now? It has a, this is very important, Kelly. It has a ton of momentum. There is pent up demand. I, I wanted to buy a car two weeks ago and every place I went had nothing on their lot. There are a lot of people who like me who'd love to buy a car right now. There are a lot of people who'd like to buy a house right now. It's very hard. There's Try and buy a bike right now. So there is pent-up economic demand. The money supply has exploded higher, 30% higher from a year ago. That's going to cause inflation. It's going to cause, it's going to be a tailwind to the economy. We're going to have uh, raw materials, natural resource prices going up. Wages are finally going up. We're going to have 4% increases, I believe, this year in wages, which we didn't have last year. All of those things are going to be good for the economy, but rates are going up. All right. You mentioned Apache for other picks, just so everyone's aware. Madison Square Garden Entertainment, Borg Warner, Lazard, and Viacom CBS, you think is going to have a big year with Paramount Plus? Absolutely. We talked about it a year ago when it was a meme stock that went from 10 to 90. We waved everybody off at 90. Now the stock's back at 32, trading at about eight times earnings. They're going to have a big year. Political advertising is big. Paramount Plus is growing very quickly. Uh, Viacom CBS is a very solid value stock here. All right, Charlie, thank you for your time today. Again, pretty much a marquee day to have you on. 
Charlie Babrinskoy with Ariel Investments. Now to a new poll asking voters how they feel about the job market and their personal employment situation. These insights exclusive to CNBC and conducted with the help of Change Research. Kayla Tausche is here with the findings. Kayla? Hey, Kelly. Well, we polled voters between December 17th and December 20th, and they gave President Biden the lowest approval rating of his presidency. But employment is one area where respondents are feeling more optimistic than other areas of the economy. Respondents in the poll conducted during those dates gave the White House a C for its performance on jobs. It's better than the D they give him on the economy overall. And 44 percent say the president deserves at least some credit for the six million jobs created over the last year. Now, here's how they feel about their own job security. Overall, American workers are feeling good. Sixty four percent say that their job security right now is excellent or good. And a majority say that's been the case since last year and it will be the case next year. Now, that confidence led 14 percent to leave their jobs in the last six months and another 13 percent say they're planning to quit in the next six months. A clear majority, about 64 percent, are doing this in search of higher pay. Others cited better better benefits and work-life balance, and 18 percent said that they would leave a job to avoid a vaccine mandate. Data out this morning underscored that trend, with four and a half million workers leaving their jobs in November, perhaps seeking higher wages as one way that voters are grappling with an increasingly pessimistic view of the higher cost of living. Kelly. So interesting and confirming so many of those data points that we just got, Kayla. So what would you say the political ramifications are? I think the political ramifications, Kelly, is that on one hand, voters say that the president has control of issues like inflation, that he should be responsible for bringing gas prices and grocery prices down. Uh, But also they see him to blame for the fact that those prices haven't come down. So a lot of this responsibility is being laid directly at the feet of the president, even though the administration's messaging has been to point to the pandemic or corporate America as some reasons for the economic dynamics playing out. The one point two one. $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan that was passed earlier this year, which is the largest piece of legislation that the administration has outlined and shepherded. A lot of respondents, the majority of both Biden and Trump voters said it didn't make them better off, Kelly. That's troubling messaging for the president going into the midterms. Yeah, Larry Sabato last night was saying, you know, the number one thing they should be doing is just reminding people what was in that package, how it benefited them. So a huge price tag, but not much that people remember. Kayla, thank you so much. Kayla Tausche with the results of that new poll for CNBC. Coming up, Ford beat out Tesla to become the best performing auto stock of 2021, more than doubling. The question is, which one of these is the better stock for 2022? Plus, a quarter of all names in the S&P performed better than Bitcoin last year. So should you still bother with crypto? We've got both sides of that debate. And as we head to break, take a look at the Dow heat map. Caterpillar is leading the way, which is the perfect encapsulation of the market's vibe today. Salesforce lagging. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. 
Canva.com, designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to The Exchange. Despite all the hype about new players on the block like Rivian, Neo, and Lucid and Tesla, old school actually worked pretty well for auto investing last year. Ford beat out almost every other auto company to become the top stock in 2021. But can that continue, especially as Morgan Stanley's Adam Jonas is warning that Tesla's blowout delivery numbers are bad news for the rest of the auto industry? CNBC.com Autos reporter Michael Wayland joins me now. Michael, it's good to see you again. Let's start with Ford's stock performance and the company saying it's going to have to double production of the uh, electric F-150. Thanks for having me on, Kelly. And yeah, I mean, last year was truly a blockbuster year for Ford, Mo- for Ford Motor. The shares increased 140%, far more than any other automaker. We're seeing the shares in- increase right now at about 11 <coughs> excuse me, 11%. On what you just said, they're going to double production of the F-150 Lightning. And that's really the key for the company this year. And that's what a lot of analysts are looking at as they kind of look ahead at Ford for 2022 and whether or not it can deliver on that truck. One of the things Adam Jonas is warning about is that there's basically not enough room for all of these players to succeed at scale. It seems like what Ford is trying to do is make sure that it's going to be one of them that do. They're trying to get a uh, first mover advantage. Uh, the Cybertruck is delayed until at least late this year. You've got Chevy coming tomorrow with the Silverado EV at CES, but Ford is planning to hit the market this spring with the F-150 Lightning, and they've got about 200,000 reservations of it. I mean, that is not a number to shake a stick at. It's a very impressive number, especially for an all-electric pickup truck. We have not seen these vehicles hit the market yet in very big numbers, and Ford's trying to change that. Isn't that the real story, though, Michael, that there is huge demand for these trucks, but the company needs to ramp up production very quickly? And as we've seen with Tesla, there are a lot of risks associated with ramping up EV production. You know, Ford has done this for ICE vehicles, but now they have to do it very quickly for a huge number of these trucks. And if they don't do it quickly, there is Cybertruck coming. You've got the Rivian truck uh, coming, I believe. I mean, there's a lot else that people can go to if they need to. Yeah, and Rivian's hitting the market now. It's a smaller pickup, though. And when you talk about Ford and Tesla, they're both really growth stories at this point. It's just with which growth story you kind of want to really kind of bet on. Tesla is obviously a global player now. They're busting out on EVs. Ford's growth story is more EVs, but then also the ICE business that's supporting those EVs. So yeah, they are trying to ramp up production as quickly as possible. We've heard Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, say this several times that they need to increase production as quickly as possible with the Lightning. They've already quadrupled it, essentially, from when they first announced what they're going to produce. So they're on a good step for that right now. And the market seems to be rewarding them for uh, that effort. And finally, what about the other legacy automakers, as we just learned that Toyota outsold GM in the U.S. last year? Uh, That was a pretty impressive feat, actually, that Toyota outsold GM for the first time ever for a non-domestic automaker to actually reach that top spot. And 
it, it's got a little asterisk on it though, because the semiconductor chip shortage has really kind of changed the automotive landscape in 2021. And even Toyota today with the call with the Porter said that they don't think that that is necessarily sustainable and it's not necessarily their goal, but I think they're pretty happy to take the uh, W for 2021. What would you say we should watch for on GM's stock front? Because a lot of the movement currently has also been around the success of Cruise and that's a, sort of a different story. It implies EVs, but also taking them autonomous. Autonomous and EVs have kind of gone hand in hand in, in cyclical natures for the past 10 years or so. It's really been hot button topics, hot button issues that continue to progress. For General Motors, tomorrow is going to be a very important day. You have CEO Mary Barra giving a keynote at the CES Technology Show. That's where they last year announced the Bright Job business and they announced a bunch of other EV initiatives. This year, they're going to unveil the Chevrolet Silverado EV, which is a huge product for them that should be coming in the years to come. And I'm expecting some other news, maybe on Bright Drop, Hummer EV, which they're launching right now. And Mary Barra is not going to go down without a fight. They do not want to cede leadership in the pickup space to anyone, including Ford Motor or Tesla. So I expect some pretty big announcements coming from them tomorrow. Yeah, and their shares also up 61% over the past year. CES, very much an auto story this year. Michael, thanks for all the details. We appreciate it. Thanks, Shelley. Michael Wayland with CNBC.com. Still ahead, shares of Disney disappointed in 2021, but could they go from worst to best in the Dow or not? We'll take a look at that. Plus, retailers are seeing amped up demand for guitars during the pandemic. We talked to the CEO of Fender about how that's working out in the supply chain. Stay with us. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange, everybody. Dow is up 349 points at the highs so far today. We're up 200 right now. The S&P is down 10. The Nasdaq is down 275. So let's take a look at that story. Tech is leading the declines today, while energy and financials are leading. Did I say leading the declines? Energy and financials are leading the gains. That's where we begin. Let's take a look at the regional banks on a tear today. Regions, Citizens, M&T Bank, Fifth Third, and PNC, all up around 4 or 5%. These are huge moves, and they're two-day moves for the most part. The big banks seeing nice gains as well. Bank of America, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman in the green. Remember, Wells is coming off a 60% gain last year. It's up 4% just today. Now let's put this into context. J.P. Morgan up 6% over the past two sessions. Bank of America up 8% and Wells up 10% over the past two days, having its best two-day start to a year ever. So look at those figures behind me. It's not all green out there. Big tech is dragging down the NASDAQ. NVIDIA, Tesla, Microsoft, 
Amazon and Apple. Some marquee names here all lower. NVIDIA is down 5% right now. Apple down 1% after briefly surpassing the $3 trillion mark in market cap just about 24 hours ago. Let's get to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly. And here's what's happening at this hour. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin says that there are no current discussions underway on President Biden's Build Back Better plan. Talks between Manchin and the White House collapsed at the end of last year. A new poll finding sharp differences between how Democrats and Republicans view the January 6th riot on Capitol Hill. Four in 10 Republicans say that the insurrection was very or extremely violent versus about 90 percent of Democrats who hold the same view. Several people died as a result of the riot and scores were injured, including more than 100 police officers. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says that there's a good chance more COVID restrictions will not be needed to combat the latest surge in COVID cases. Johnson says that the country can ride out the Omicron wave, but he sees the coming weeks will be challenging. And on the news tonight, hundreds of motorists still stuck on a snowbound highway in Virginia. What's being done to help them and what can be done to make sure that this never happens again? That's tonight at 7 Eastern. Kelly, one motorist saying that. What was supposed to be an hour commute turned into more than nine hours oh, and counting. I cannot. I hope we get a lot more details and stories from that. It's just crazy. Uh, Rahel, thank you very much. For sure. Coming up, a top pick having a down day. Analyst love for Amazon, the stocks that beat Bitcoin, and Adam Newman's next move. It's all in rapid fire. And as we head to break, it's time for show and tell. We show the chart, then tell the story. And today's stock is AMD. It's falling after the chip maker debuted 25 new products, including a new series of processors promising higher performance and higher security. CEO Lisa Su telling TechCheck earlier, there's no shortage of demand. The overarching theme is that people need more computing. And whether you call it the metaverse or you call it high performance computing or you know you call it you know just more applications um, you know people need more computing and we're able to provide more so i do believe it is a bit of a continuation um, as uh, as we look forward and i think that's really exciting Welcome back. Let's catch you up on a bunch of stories that should be on your radar right now in this edition of Rapid Fire. Here to break down the headlines are CNBC's Bob Bassani and Dear Jabosa and Delano Sapporo of New Street Advisors. He is the founder. Welcome, everybody. First story today, when being a top pick can't save you. Shares of DoorDash down around 8% today, despite being named a top pick for 2022 by Truist. Truist says the delivery service is outperforming rivals and heads into the new year as the category leader with positive momentum. Well, not stock momentum. It's down 30 percent in the past three months. Deirdre, tell me everything. <laughs> well, let me start by saying that you can't just look at the stock performance over the last few months. This is a company that went public at a much higher valuation than, say, Uber and Grubhub and some of the others in the space and been able to sustain that valuation. So, yes, it's coming down, but it started from a much more expensive point. That's because uh, investors, they seem to believe in Tony Hsu that he can pull off a lot of what others in this shared economy space haven't been able to. I mean, he quickly, quickly grew market share. And also, I love this point, Callie, you know me, they're profitable, not just on mm. an adjusted EBITDA basis, but they've been able to do this much more profitably than its competitors. So this pick, maybe it's late, you could say. Yeah, no, and it, it, the profitability point, the toughest to pull off, especially in this business. Delano, are you a fan of the stock? 
It, Kelly, thanks for having me again. And, and you know, I think, you know, I haven't really backed a company here in this kind of food delivery service for a few reasons. Uh, as Deirdre was mentioned, it's highly competitive. Uh, there's razor, razor thin margins. And when you're looking at it, they're, they're taking different approaches to the business. DoorDash has done a great job, you know, with their partnerships with CVS in different areas. And if you're looking at Uber, what I've liked, what Uber's done, especially obviously the subsidiary Uber Eats, um, what they're doing is buying and making themselves into a super app. So if I'm looking at it, I want to find and back the best company that's going to really grow into that super app. You saw Uber, uh, Uber Eats with the acquisition of Drizzly in different areas. I think the company that's able to be profitable, spin off cash flow, and make those acquisitions as a strategy to grow the business will be the best bet. I have no positions in any of them right now, Kelly, so okay. I'm still watching the strategy play out. Waiting on the sidelines. Absolutely. Bob, what would you say? Well, not to be Debbie Downer about this, but you see what's going on here today? They are re-rating the entire stock market on the basis of higher interest rates. And what that means is companies that don't make any money right now, and on an EPS basis, DoorDash does not, maybe on a, a revenue basis, but Teladoc, Twilio, other companies that have uh, very high multiples, ridiculously high multiples today, like Roku or Spotify, Zillow, they're all getting hit today. So I don't have any problem with, with DoorDash as a company, but you've got to be careful about valuations in a rising interest rate environment. The whole market's being re-rated uh, right now. So that that's what I would say on a macro level. Delana, what would you add to that? From a tactical point of view, do you just kind of, do you sell other holdings that you might have in these categories, afraid that there might be 25% more downside? Or are you starting to look at some of these names to pick up? Yeah, yeah, definitely starting to look at some of these names to pick up. Um, I think, you know, on the e-commerce front, that's the area that I'm liking, especially when you look at companies like Shopify and obviously a company that's, you know, performing well as far as spitting off earnings and or positive on EPS basis, Amazon. But some of the high flyers that are re-rating, it's definitely going to be an opportunity for investors to look at these companies, right? Because as, as Bob mentioned, we're being re-rated right now. We're yeah. seeing the, the NASDAQ, you know, pull down considerably. Um, I do think there's going to be opportunities and I will be looking closely at those opportunities, look Kelly. At that. Shopify, which you guys, Deirdre, were joking about earlier, but it's down 10% today. Okay, just a quick comment on that. That's, that's some pretty outsized moves here. Yeah, I, I, if you're Shopify. asking me, Kelly, I think it goes back to what Bob was saying. Go ahead, Bob. <laughs> it changed a 229 forward multiple right now and, and for 20. 22, 229 in a rising interest. This is what happened in, in yeah. 2000. I'm not saying these, these companies are much better shaped than the companies in 2000. This isn't pets.com. I'm not making that comparison. But when you get a rising interest rate environment, you don't just have to be profitable. You have to be reasonably profitable. And 229 forward, that's a, that's a bit of a stretch these days. Well said. All right, let's get a quick mention of Amazon in here. Curious for everyone's thought. It was only up 2% last year, but it's now a top pick from Bank of America, Cowan, RBC Capital Markets, and others. Everyone likes its unrivaled scale, the cloud business, broader e-commerce, you know, so many potential catalysts, uh, Bob, but it just you know, this stock down, uh, what did I say, two, up 2% 2 last year and almost giving that back already this year. Right. This is a complicated company. So it, half of the business is the e-commerce. So how about e-commerce versus retail going back into stores? That's a complicated story last year. I think more people are going to go back into stores. There'll be a little bit of competition. Um, what does the end of stimulus mean for Amazon? So, you know, mm -hmm. the, this child tax credit going away. I think that's an important question. Uh, and finally, I love Amazon Web Services. My heavens, have they benefited uh, from the pandemic? And that's only 11, 12 13% of the business right now. That grew 40% last year. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful business. Deirdre? 
Kelly, I made a list this morning. This was painful of all the subscriptions that we are paying for, right? It's a new year. <laughs> we had to get them all too. straight. Yeah. And I looked at which ones I can live without. You know what I can live without now? Amazon Prime. The, you know Deirdre, why I do you am know, not going to cancel I it? wrote about I, this last year. <laughs> Literally, in August, we did, oh my gosh, we, we did the same thing, and I went yeah. through everything, and I was like, we can cancel Prime, but it turned out I had just renewed my subscription like the previous, you know, four weeks before that. But I haven't ordered from Amazon since well, then. There you go. I'm a shipped person now. I find I get it faster and there's good selection. But this is what Amazon's kind of missing. We've been talking about this for years, Kelly. Maybe what you felt as well, that discovery aspect still isn't there. Unless you're going for exactly what you need, diapers or wipes or something, you're not really finding much else to buy. But I was going to say why I didn't cancel it, Kelly, because of Prime Video. So the ah. Amazon flywheel is well into effect. Um, who knows? Maybe I'll use them again for groceries. So that's the point. That's what Amazon has been thinking of for so long. And that's probably what Delano likes, too, is that they figured out the flywheel. They got customers coming back time and time again, and even if their offerings aren't great. No, I, that's, I, it's fascinating. I just was trying to go back and do Whole Foods grocery pickup again with, you know, being positive for COVID and all the rest of it, Delano, but there were no pickup windows available for the one near me or the one 15 miles away. There was no delivery options available. So the mm. labor shortage is really hurting oh. them in what could be a huge opportunity right now. Yeah, Kelly Deirdre, I would say don't cancel just yet. It's getting colder in New York, and I know that I'm getting lazier in that time, so I'm going to look for those delivery options if I can get them. Um, and I do think, you know, as Bob was like, that e-commerce... <laughs> there, there might be, and, and as Bob was mentioning, that e-commerce versus going in a reopening battle—that is something that is a really good and interesting point right now. Because what you're seeing is you saw the huge jump in, in the chart in e-commerce as a percentage of retail sales. It kind of dipped, especially in Q2, Q2 of 2021, and I think that trend continues to go up, um, especially with obviously with Amazon holding most of that share. So I'm still very bullish share we're holding. Um, I do like uh, the AWS business as well, growing fast. And I know you guys had the AMD CEO on here talking about you know enterprise spend and that. Could yeah. The more computing power, that's going to be a big, big point going forward. So I still like the company. And here. just have to mention to Bob's point, it's got an 85 forward PE. So you wonder why it's down, you know, two, three percent today. And there's probably a good part of your answer. Let's have a quick mention as well. Uh, you know, a lot of focus has been on this story about all the stocks that have outperformed Bitcoin. Bitcoin itself was up 60 percent this year, but a quarter of the S&P was even better than that. Names like Tesla, NVIDIA, but also Marathon Oil and Ford were better performers. Bob, does this argue for crypto not being so special or are people just missing the fundamental use cases here? No, let's flip it on the uh, flip that whole thing on its head. It argues for the fact that in the stock market, there's plenty of value and people are looking for that. I don't like comparing stocks to crypto or anything even collectible. And the reason I don't is stocks have intrinsic value. They throw off a dividend. There's a potential future stream of earnings that can add to the dividend. So we have this thing called fundamental analysis that we use. You can't do fundamental analysis on Bitcoin. You can't do it on gold. You can't do it on collectibles like comic books either. What is a comic book worth? It's worth whatever supply and demand will provide you at that time. And that's essentially with Bitcoin. So I'm very neutral on the price of Bitcoin. I see when, when you saw the energy stocks move this year, energy was back because more demand for oil, number one. And number two, relative valuations were crazy on, on energy stocks uh, for the last several years. So I like that. There's value for you and there's people looking for it in the stock market. Delano, where are you on, on crypto at the moment? 
uh, still very bullish, Kelly. And I think the Bob made a good point. It's about the, the value. And I think the biggest value that a lot of people are seeing in crypto and digital currencies is that scarcity value. As we move towards more of a digital kind of uh, kind of world, um, I think a lot of people are looking at the adoption as legal tender um, for, for some countries that are that it's happening. Um, continued proof uh, use case for blockchain and, and potentially more institutional buy-in. So I had like a split. It was a little bit more heavier on the BTC side, mm. but I do obviously hold Ether uh, and, and Chainlink. And so we're going to continue buying cryptocurrencies because we do believe in that scarcity portion that will drive the, uh, the valuation up in, in time. All right. We will leave it there. And finally, The Wall Street Journal reporting that former WeWork CEO Adam Newman seems to be making another land grab. Entities related to him have acquired more than 4,000 apartments, around a billion dollars worth of real estate. Rumors are swirling he has ambitions to upend rental housing in a similar fashion that he upended the office space with WeWork. And Deirdre, in a weird way, I'm rooting for him. I think WeWork was a good innovation, as flawed as he and mm -hmm. the company itself were. I wonder what he might think the opportunity is in the rental space. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Kelly. I think that he had an interesting concept. He built, you know, a really interesting community as well. And obviously this idea has lasted of WeWork. And some would argue that it was when Sopping, when Masasan got involved, that things got supercharged and out of control. What's interesting now, Kelly, is that he's using his own money to do this, right? He got a pretty nice golden parachute from WeWork. He made a lot of money. He's now using it himself. I guess the question is, which investors are really prepared to put money behind him, given all mm. the stuff that came out around the botched IPO. Are they going to support him? Are they going to think that he's going to have corporate governance under control all of a sudden? Looks like Bob's not going to be investor number one. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Uh, it, I hate to be the curmudgeon again here, but a Adam Newman is hardly a genius for recognizing the value in apartment buildings. When, when I was the real estate reporter 30 years ago, in 1993, this company called Equity Residential ah. went public. It was a real estate investment trust. I had this guy on. His name was Sam Zell. In 1993, <laughs> I had him on my real estate show, and he had the same idea and exactly the same concept. Oh, the baby boomers, are, they're, gonna, they're waiting longer to get married. They're not going to, they'll need more apartments. I, I'm not saying he doesn't have a good idea, but this is a tried and I true position. I think you just called him the way, next Sam Zell. guess historic <laughs> Historic eye, his, historic eye today, Equity Residential, wow. Camden Property Trust, look uh, Avalon Bay, look at all of the apartment REITs, historic highs today. Plenty of stocks, in other words, Delano, to bet on if you're thinking about making a move in this space. Yeah, and I, you know, what it brought to my mind was this Airbnb, and I saw that the CEO mentioned that there are millennials, and in this flex work, flex work environment, people taking longer to to go on vacation to do different things. So I wonder if there's a play there with Adam Newman. You know, I, we're not big on that gig economy as far as you know, investment standpoint currently, uh, but you know, small small position there. But I think you know, I, I'm curious to see, and I, I think the points are well valid. This could be a, a re resurrection for him and obviously a chance to, to kind of make things right here. And we'll, we'll see if that happens. We will see. Delano Sapporo, Dear Jabosa, Bob Bassani, <laughs> thank you all for this edition of Rapid Fire. Yeah. Mickey Mouse was a dog last year as Disney ended 2021 as the worst performer in the Dow. Now Omicron threatens theme park attendance and box office sales and Disney Plus numbers are slowing. Up next, we'll talk to an analyst who is naming Disney as a top pick despite all of that.
Welcome back. Disney is adding a new title, not one it necessarily wanted to. It was the worst performing Dow stock last year, falling 14% as it struggled to overcome lagging parks revenue and slowing Disney Plus growth. But Wells Fargo is today naming it the top large cap growth idea for 2022, saying this year they'll see proper execution and reaching those 2024 subscriber numbers. Joining me now is Stephen Cahall, Wells Fargo senior analyst behind the Disney call. Thanks for joining us, Stephen. What are the three big catalysts you see? Well, so I think first and foremost, if we unpack what happened last year, it was really a rare but clear strategic misstep by Disney. Uh, they didn't have the level of content that their peers did, uh, and we could go into some details as to why might that have happened. So we probably shouldn't have been so surprised when subscriber growth decelerated for Disney+. Plus. You know, In some ways, it's not rocket science here. You put a lot of content out there and people will sign up to watch it. I think Disney really understands that that's the weakness that they came through. Uh, and they're going to be putting uh, a lot into that execution in 2022. So that's the biggest reason uh, with their track record that we're more bullish on it here. And then the other one is parks. You know, parks have been a little slower to come back. There's been fits and starts in the reopening trade. I don't think that issue was lost on most folks. So we're still bullish on that as well. and think that we're going to see more proof points in the year ahead. Yeah, I was surprised. I think attendance is still down something like 40 percent from pre-pandemic levels. Revenue doing better, obviously, maybe only down about 20 percent, but still a ways to go, which I can see could be a catalyst. If people do start returning this year, then you have a positive story to tell. On the uh, streaming front, where is their content going to come from that's going to beat out the rivalries like H uh, rivals like HBO Max? Yeah, so what, what Disney said in their 10K in November is that they're going to spend $33 billion on content in 2022. Uh, that is the most of any company in, in media, and in fact, it's the most in, in spades. So, you know, the first thing is that sometimes just having that big volume, that big budget is, is a lot because it means you can have more shots on goal. Not everyone's going to be a hit, but uh, historically Disney's hit rate has been pretty good. Um, the second thing that folks want to figure out is how much of this is going to be general entertainment content. So a lot of the debate really is, do we want to keep super serving the Star Wars and the Marvel and the Disney fans with more and more series and tentful original films? Or is there a need to really expand into more of this kind of Netflix, HBO, scripted series, adult-centric content type of genres? Um, the reason I like the stock here is I think Disney has known that this has been its weak point historically. That's why they paid you know, $50 billion net to buy the studios from Fox a few years ago. And they're just now starting to really put the budgets behind those studios to ramp up into a new type of content that they're maybe not known historically for. Yeah, so you say investors should pay around 200 bucks for the stock when they're on track. Your current price target, 196 And what would you say you're less bullish on in this space? Yeah, I mean, there's a few things, but the, the big one would be the cable names. Uh, so Comcast and Charter uh, also out today. We had some lower broadband growth numbers in the cable industry. Really, we think that there's a lot more competition from 5G and wireless and uh, fiber in particular that's going to take root in 2022 and 2023. So it's going to be a lot harder to grow a broadband business than uh, than it ever has um, and then we also remain, you know, more negative on some on some names like uh, Spotify and WWE. All right. Interesting. Stephen, thanks again. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Stephen Cahill with Wells Fargo Securities. How did your portfolio do in 2021? Should be pretty well unless, well, unless you run a hedge fund. Uh, many of their top perfects underperformed, and we will show you that coming up. Also, take a look at how the Chinese tech stocks are doing today. They're dropping some by 10 or more percent in the case of Pinduoduo. Alibaba shedding 2 percent. 
Remember, you can catch this show anytime, anywhere by listening to and following The Exchange Podcast. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Who needs hedge funds? While the markets rose 20% or more last year, many of the names owned by the big funds didn't share the ride. Leslie Picker is looking at the numbers and the fallout for us. Leslie? Hey, Kelly, yeah, we're looking at the Goldman Sachs basket of 50 names that appear most often among the top 10 holdings of hedge funds. It's called the so-called VIP list. Turns out that group delivered 11% returns last year, a third of the S&P. What's remarkable is that the top names in the basket are essentially beta, meaning they took a, they look a lot like the market. Microsoft, Amazon, Meta Platforms, Facebook's parent company, and Alphabet, Google's parent company, were listed among the top five. But it was really the other 45 names that dragged down returns, such as Uber, MasterCard, and C, a Singapore-based e-commerce company. Of course, equity-focused hedge funds also tend to go short. Turns out a group of VIP shorts by dollar value was up 23% last year, opposite, of course, of where investors who are betting against these names would want the basket to go. The top names in this group include Tesla, S&P Global, Moderna, Bank of America, and Home Depot, all of which not just outperformed, but dramatically outperformed the market. We're expecting individual returns to be shared with limited partners who invest in hedge funds throughout the week, but early signs show some large dispersion in the numbers, Kelly. Fascinating. It's been tough for them. In many ways, it's been tough for years. So how does this all add up to their ability to attract money? And do they continue to make the case that they might do better in market downturns? That's the key question. Now, they're still charging pretty lofty fees, about 1.5% of AUM and about 20% of profits to the upside when they generate returns. Their pitch these days has been all about this kind of inflection point in the economy. You've got inflation, you've got fiscal and monetary policy or uh, tightening. So put your money with us and we'll protect your downside. However, we do hear this pitch time and time again and, you know, Oftentimes they do underperform, but I think a lot of people are putting money in this asset class in order to diversify and protect their downside or replace maybe fixed income Hmm. as opposed to necessarily generating alpha because that just really hasn't been the case for a lot of these funds over the last few years. Yeah, I think there's probably still more fallout to come. Leslie, thanks for your reporting. We appreciate it. Leslie Picker. The pandemic is almost two years old, feels like three, and there still aren't enough guitars for everyone who wants one. Up next, we will talk to the CEO of Fender about the supply chain struggles for the industry. And Fortinet was the best performing S&P stock last year, she said. But it's not starting off as well now. It's down almost 6%, including rivals uh, like Datadog and MongoDB. Look at those declines, nearly 9% as the tech trade struggles. We're back in a moment. The day the music died. Transportation bottlenecks, lack of raw materials, and even the chip shortage are all leading to a lack of enough electric guitars and amplifiers to meet soaring demand. Now, despite all that, iconic brand Fender was just able to post 30% sales growth, but the CEO says they could have hit 50% if not for supply constraints. Joining me now is Fender CEO Andy Mooney. Andy, it's great to have you here. Um, Is it going to get worse first or could it start to get better? Well, I think eventually it's going to get better. I think the big question is when. We are not optimistic at this point it's going to get um, significantly better for at least two, maybe three quarters. How much are prices up? 
Uh, well, with the latest price increase that just went into effect January 1, we've increased prices about 10% over the last 12 months. And is that doing enough to slow demand? Not at this point. It's uh, truly remarkable, the demand that's out there. Just people want to use their time at home wisely and invest in activities that uh, they really feel good about. How do you know whether you have new people coming in? You know, if, if I wanted to learn guitar, I'm not sure I would buy a Fender first thing. Well, we, we actually just completed a very comprehensive research project and found that in the U.S. alone, 16 million new uh, entrants, 7% of the entire population uh, picked up guitar, in many cases for the first time last year. So there's massive amounts of new people coming in uh, and trying to, trying to find the best guitar for them uh, to learn the instrument. Yeah, no, I... It was funny when I saw the story, I just got a little plastic guitar for my kids, thought, you know, it'd be a good little entree into the music world, but I didn't realize the actual ones are becoming harder to get. I imagine it's not just your company struggling. No, for sure. The entire industry is facing the same challenges. I, I like to think we probably manage the, the uh, issues a little better than some of our competitors, um, but everybody's struggling with the same issues. And we mentioned that it could include the chip shortage. Explain, you know, sort of if you rank the issues, chip shortage, transportation problems, raw materials, labor shortage. How are those interacting? Which are the worst? Well, I think probably the top two on the electronic side, definitely chip shortages. It's affecting amplifier sales, um, in particular in our case. Um, and also for the uh, PreSonus, the, the, the company that we recently acquired last month, where audio recording is another, home recording, another big booming category right now. Um, but I'd say after that, the transportation issues Availability for containers, um, the, the backup at the Port of Long Beach, that's a really material issue as well. I'm curious if you're also experiencing, you know, um, how do we say it, pay increases. In other words, we, two data points we keep hearing about. Number one, this quits rate is just astronomical. Number two, people seem to be doing it in anticipation of better opportunities in terms of pay or flexibility elsewhere. Is your company experiencing that? Yeah, the hourly rate that we pay our factory uh, employees in Corona has increased quite a bit this year. Um, possibly going to have to increase again next year. We're competing with uh, Amazon, for example, in uh, Inland Empire, who have 14 open warehouses now and hiring uh, a significant amount of people. So we don't expect that pressure to ease much over the last year, but we, we are doing everything that we can uh, to make sure that our, our, our offices and our factories are staffed to the right level. And finally, has this lowered the age of the typical person who might own a Fender? Or, you know, do you think it will create a lasting surge in guitar playing? Well, ab absolutely. The, both the, the age profile has moved down. Uh, nearly two-thirds of the people were uh, between 16 and 34. The, the audience is much more diverse than ever. Nearly, again, two-thirds of, uh, of new players registered with uh, some form of Latino uh, descent. So I, I th pre-COVID, the industry was growing at 10%. Through COVID, the height of COVID has grown 35 wow. plus percent. Uh, we would anticipate it continuing to grow, maybe not at the 35% rate, but at least at the pre-COVID rate, if not more. Wow, Andy, thanks for joining us today. Tell us what's been happening. We appreciate it. My pleasure, thank Andy you. Andy Mooney is the CEO of Fender. And that does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.